Hi everyone, it's Pleasance. Today's book club is about a life-changing book that I read a few years ago called The Last Best Cure by Donna Jackson. Uh, I want to pronounce it correctly. I just practiced. <laughs> Nakazawa. I think that's how you do it. I listened to the recording a bunch of times and tried to make sure that I got it right out of respect. Nakazawa. Donna Jackson Nakazawa. And she has a number of books that I think you'll all be interested in based on who you are and what you are experiencing. She also has a bunch of talks on YouTube and things where you can kind of, again, hear from her. Um, Childhood Disrupted is another one that is extremely profound and potent if you've had childhood issues, um, trauma, but I'm not focusing on that today. I am focusing on The Last Best Cure. Um, one more thing before I go on is that she also has an autoimmune book. And I know a lot of women in Thrive have had experiences with autoimmune issues. Um, so that might be interesting to you. But the one that I want to focus on today is the one that was the had the biggest impact on my life. And the last best cure came out, let me check, in 2013. So I'm recording in 2018, so five years ago. And for probably about 18 months or so, people had told me about this book and said, oh, I think you'll like it. And I put it on a list and said, thank you. I have a big list because people are always referring wonderful books to me. And I sort of I use into not sort of I do use intuition to buy or take from the library books um, as I feel interested into them. And I can't exactly explain how that process works, except that I'll look at the list maybe a few times a month and I'll take it out from the library, see how it feels, see if I want to buy it. And The Last Best Cure was one that I took out from the library and basically stayed up all night for like three nights reading crying, taking notes, and bought a copy. Um, this book had such a profound impact on my life because it was really the first time as an adult woman that I understood why so many years of yoga and meditation and retreats and therapy had literally changed my life, my outlook, my energy, and healed my trauma. And I'm sure that it was kind of like all these points in the story, like, you know, I got to this book because of meeting someone else who referred something else. Like, we're always kind of one, you know, moving along in our storyline, following flow, following energy, following the yes, following our hearts, following intuition, sometimes following society, ego. You know, this is just kind of how it is. So I think that the last best cure landing in my life at the moment that it did was divine intervention because... Um, it was like this total integration, like this total gift of everything that I had been learning and studying that was coming from a number of places, but this felt like 
a version of my story. This felt like a version of what I had been doing and seeking and striving to achieve without even realizing it. So the thing I say about, um, about this book is that it put together, it like articulated so clearly what I had done to biologically, the physical nature of my body, mind, and soul. But I have to tell you guys, I didn't know that's what I was doing. So Donna goes in, this book is her story. Um, the subtitle is my quest to awaken the healing parts of my brain and get back my body, my joy, and my life. And Donna goes in, starts off the book with talking about all of her physical issues. She has a lot of pain. She has a lot of chronic illness. Um, she is not fully engaged at, from a holistic level and from a healthy level and a vibrant level in her life, okay? So she starts the story with that, with the quest, with this desire, with this interest saying, you know, in the beginning, she, so it's broken into three parts, um, actually four. Part one is in the beginning, and this is where she talks about the joy thief, which was her pain and her stress. She did not know going into it that it was going to, the root of all of this was really going to be childhood drama um, and talking about her ACE score, okay, and talking about learning about ACE and why that's important and how many of us are walking around with these childhood traumas, um, which is why childhood disrupted um, is also very important. I can't, I don't actually know. I'm going to look up. Oh, childhood disrupted came out in 2015. So this was after, right, she learned about her own trauma in <coughs> The Last Best Cure. Um, so she goes in to talk about um, the beginning is really framing for you guys um, her pain, her physical pain, and then how that kind of radiates into other areas of her life. The second part is called meditation coming to the quiet. And here's where she starts to really dive in to more of the um, mindfulness teachers like Tara Brock. Um, she starts getting some work done at the Johns Hopkins Integrative Center and really talks in there about why some of this, how it works, why it works, moving into breath, self-compassion, um, and talking about going on retreat. So again, these things are very much a part of my daily life and stuff that I teach and thrive and many of you are doing. And so again, I'm just highlighting that. I don't think any of this is going to be like shocking for you, meaning, oh, I never thought of that before. The The reason this book feels so potent is because, first of all, she's a brilliant writer with the combination of her own personal story, the science, and making the science so interesting and um, digestible and tangible, and you can really understand it. And then also um, kind of the culmination of the putting together. It's almost like the validation book. Those of you who are listening to this, who feel awesome in your life, right? You've moved the emotional trauma through, you've digested your past, you've been able to handle your life and move through. It may be because of some of these reasons. And those of you who are feeling like you're stuck and you can't do that, this is a really wonderful guide to help you understand, um, maybe give you some ideas as to some things that you can do. And I'll talk about those a little bit, but also, um, just really um, being a sort of support and a guide, a validation guide that some of these things, you guys, that we talk about over and over, 
you know, people roll their eyes at being in nature, taking your shoes off and putting your feet in the ground when you feel overwhelmed by your life or by just relaxing and enjoying. I mean, the first chapter is literally called The Joy Thief. I was just talking to a mom at Dropoff about this this morning. She said, oh, you teach stress management. Tell me about that. She looked at me. She said, she said everyone feels so stressed and is so stressed out. And we started talking about kind of some of the stuff that I'm learning and teaching. And I said, you know, one of the things I really notice is that a lot of women I know don't let themselves have a lot of joy every day. And she looked, she like stopped and looked at me and she was like, I want more joy, you know? And I said, I know, me too. Um, And that's what I love to find. So when I sat down, I like to find in my life and then help other people investigate and do some digging around to find that joy. Um, And so when I sat down to do the recording, of course the first chapter is called The Joy Thief. I hadn't remembered that. And just really thinking about how our society and our culture has moved so far away from that being a priority because of this masculine energy and productivity, because of getting things done, because of more and more and more. And I, you know, our society, or at least the circles that I'm in and, and the people I listen to and read about and try to share the messages is leaning more towards that div- divine feminine energy that's softer. It allows more creativity. It allows the unknown. We need both. I'm not saying one is better than the other. We absolutely need both. Um, the fact that I'm recording this podcast for you during my work block, uh, during my podcast block, in my work calendar shows that masculine energy, but the feminine energy that is associated is talking about these really meaningful, fascinating texts and books and words and lives. These are the stories of our lives, right? So when we're talking about joy and we're looking around for it, we really have to dig some of us. I mean, my hand is raised. Like I had to get out of darkness and despair. I was not hopeful. You know, I had really suffered a lot and that manifested and came out in a lot of different ways. So the next um, part is body work. And I love, I mean, I just love this section. Why aren't we all doing yoga? A gentle start, body love, the life force, moving chi, the oldest medicine, I just love this deep dive into how we move our bodies, how we think about our bodies, um, how we enjoy our bodies, how we build strength and energy. Um, There's uh, a lot of information about acupuncture because she uses Chinese medicine and acupuncture, which just side note, Chinese medicine did come out of Ayurveda. So there's a lot of overlap um, within those two worlds. And we really respect and love uh, the care that traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda both bring at that deep nourishing. And there's some some parts in the body love section that are just, um, I just get the chills and I just say, yes, 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 more of this, please. This is how I feel. This is, I feel so connected to this statement around loving my body and feeling strong and finding that which did not feel the case when I was mentally and physically abusing myself in a number of ways. Um, And then the last part is called landing in a different place. And this, um, the final reckoning, if you do have the book page 241 is just some of, it's like my favorite closing of a book that sticks in my mind. Um, 
it's just a beautiful way to end the book. It's this beautiful story of her and her daughter and her feeling so free and strong and healthy, riding a bike and enjoying her life. And at the beginning, I mean, it's just such a difference from the person who was in her bed and bed bound in the beginning of the book. So now what I want to do is kind of go through some of these um, passages for you that really stuck in my mind and then give you some of the takeaways that she gives at the end, the 10 ways um, to help that you can help yourself. So even if you don't have the book or you don't want to buy the book, that at least you still get some value and some real teaching um, out of this wisdom, okay? So I'm going to start. um, If you do have the book, you can follow along. This is on page 99 at the top. When we are mindful, when we simply watch our thoughts and sensations come and go and note that our mental spinning just doesn't match up with what's really happening right now, we can step in and intercede. When we label our habits of mind and apply balm to the sting, when we come to when we come back into the present untamed by our worst images, when we come back to who we really are and what we really feel, Mindfulness holds up a mirror that shows us what's really happening undistorted so we can respond with a rational mind. The act of just naming our feelings, the science now tells us, that's called name it to tame it, provides that pause for us. My mind opens a little more, expanding towards a wide angle view. Now that is right there in page, on page 99, that wide angle view is what I'm always talking about when I say zoom out zooming out is a real skill when we feel like we're getting too tight or too tense or bound up in thought pattern or anxiety or fear. When we zoom out, we get that wide angle. It is a skill that really can help us. Um, And as you can tell, you might be able to hear Miller just started, decided to start to bark right in this moment. So I apologize, Um, but enjoy his barking. Okay, so let's move to the next reading, which is on page 114. And, uh, okay, this is on the chapter on breath and meditation and her integrating her meditation. So while I'm doing these chapter readings, if you want, you can close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, you can close your eyes. You can plant your feet. You can lay down. You can kind of use this me reading to you these sections as your meditation for today. Okay? Page 114. It is still early morning. I hear the birds singing in the tree outside my window as I inhale. Exhale. I hear Claire pad softly into my room. I sense her standing there, then leaving. Then she comes back in again, the door creaking as she softly closes it, as if I might not hear. Slowly, even as I take in the sounds around me, my own sense of being here, of being alive, seems to grow, magnify. My eyes are so heavy with this new sweet moment of openness that I can't yet lift my lids. The space I feel inside widens. I'm like a low-flying kite skimming along the ground. I don't want to leave the moment. Even as I imagine my daughter staring at her mom sitting cross-legged against the damp headboard, I feel her creep up onto my bed. Ashley has taken advantage of the open door and comes in with her. She jumps up, curling in the perfect triangle made by my legs. 
Claire slips her head into my lap too, resting her head half on my knee and half on the puppy. Mother, daughter, rescue pup, the girls, they both seem to sense the quiet of the moment. And as we slip further into it together, I slide one hand on Claire's head and my other palm falls on the dog's soft fur. Ten minutes pass. Breath, daughter, dog, love. The timer goes off, and for the first time, I feel it's way too soon to stop. Claire lifts her head. Mom, can we walk the dog? I love this moment, and the reason I love it is because I get the chills, I start to cry, because of all of these moments of my own kiddo's childhood where they have experienced that, like that connection, that quiet, it's so familiar to me, just trusting in the sitting and the breathing and letting our family members and our kiddos come to us um, and showing them this is what the integration piece is all about, like that feeling that it's not an outcome. I can't check a box. It's, it didn't prove anything. It didn't, you know, the, the, the outcome is not tangible. I can't put my finger on it. I can just tell you guys that when I read that and I was weeping, I was thinking, I'm doing that and it matters. And I know lots of you guys are doing it and it matters. And those of you who aren't doing it, think about those feelings. Think about why you might want to try it. Think about the connection and the quiet and these homes that we want our kiddos to grow up in and our family members and our pets, um, because it really is up to us. And so again, this validation of making the space and the time and being healed and committed to your own wholeness enough so that you make it a priority. I mean, I think that that really is it. Is this a priority? Is connection and quiet and wholeness like this is where it comes from it's not a magic pill it's not something you can do like physically force connection it's just how you it's 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 a way of being this is what yoga in your life off the mat this is the lifestyle is this commitment to nature and connection that is a high priority And I know that you're being pulled in a number of directions and I know that the healing work can take time and money and those are things that people always feel like they don't have enough of. And I'm just going to challenge you to say, what if you did have enough? What if there was nothing more important than creating time and using your money towards your own healing? She does talk about the cost of her chronic illness and the doctor's appointments versus the cost of her yoga and acupuncture and meditation. And she does some comparison of that. That's fascinating. When I leave a doc, I'm just going to speak from my own experience. When I leave a doctor's office, I often feel like I need to use my on guard essential oil spray. I often feel overstimulated. I feel cold. I don't feel nourished or nurtured. Um, that's on one level. And then on the other level, I when I leave yoga or acupuncture, I feel whole, I feel awesome. So for me, making that money, making the commitment um, towards my health and well-being is really not a thing. It's It's really, there's a clear why that I can feel in my body when I take care of myself. And so that's where I do spend 
um, that money and that, that energy towards that feeling that I get when I leave my holistic health providers versus when I leave a doctor. So for me, I want to stay close to the nourishing feelings. Um, and so just th- kind of think about that. Okay. Um, next, I'm going to move here to this chapter around the retreat that she went on. And this is an exercise that we do in Thrive and we do in private coaching and mentorship around picturing and visualizing future self and really thinking about and giving love to past self. Okay, so um, this is on page 164. So again, find a comfortable seat or lay down, just relax as I move through. Picture the scene that you're on a, a quiet retreat and a women's retreat and you're moving through some of these exercises and reflections, okay? Here I am as an adult trying so hard to be the grown-up. The dog is throwing up, I have a speech to write, a track meet to get to, and I didn't know the way. I'm so tired and my legs are wobbly and there's bills to pay and dollars to stretch and dishes to do and dinner to plan. And then I have to catch a train for New York in the early a.m. I don't feel like a grown-up, not one adequate, adequate or powerful enough to handle all the details on top of details and stay calm and kind and alert. I feel like I'm still 12, meeting expectations that are over my head, beyond my ken. Past my stamina level, I'm treading water, waiting for someone to throw me a lifeline. It suddenly makes sense to me. The feelings of inadequacy and powerlessness I feel now are the same feelings of inadequacy and powerlessness I felt when I was faced with so much responsibility prematurely as a young girl. The inability to control illness, financial crisis caused by illness, the doing without collapsing from the doing, the inability to control my dad dying from the illness when he didn't have to, to help keep my mom from collapsing from the doing, the world falling to pieces. That girl, the girl who lived through all that, powerless, overwhelmed, inadequate to the task of getting through a world falling to pieces on her own, is still traveling with me. My chest hurts. I feel my chest, my skin burning like hot iron. My breath comes shallow and short. I focus on filling my lungs, three-part breath, belly, lungs, chest. But I have trouble taking in that much air. I hold the girl I was, giving her all the love I can. The area around my heart is spasming and I place my palm against it, the tightness in my chest. And then I see my 16-year-old self walking toward me, her face long, her blonde hair, a shield behind which she hides herself. She comes and sits beside, beside me, leaning her head on my shoulder. She doesn't have to say a word. I feel how alone she is. Brother's gone to college, dad gone, no more cats at the bus stop, the boat sold, the stars dim, no more laughter. No one has told her why her world has broken to shards or that, in the end, she will be okay. She rolls her face towards my shoulder. I cradle the younger me, the girls' selves who are the very ages that my own two children are now, and I hug them closer. But something else happens. Out of nowhere, my brain sends me a kind and wholly unexpected image. 
a me at age 65 or so, a wiser me, calm, kind, more wrinkles, less fear. She's wearing a beautiful hat that one of my old best friends knitted for my 50th birthday. This old wiser me places a warm maternal hand on my forehead, tracing her fingers down the side of my face to gently touch the rash in my eyelids and then to my chin. For a few seconds, I feel a burst of relief. She seems so sure of herself. You'll see years from now, she says, her face toward mine, whispering so close to my ear, I can almost feel her warm breath. It all turns out okay. You're okay. You really are. I'm afraid I'm going to lose myself in tears and make a fool of myself in front of the other women, but from time to time I hear one of them break into quiet weeping too. I put my hand over my heart. I wipe generations of tears. Will I ever get out of here alive? 16-year-old me looks up. I find myself smiling as I imagine myself stroking her head. Oh, you will. I say, you will. The older version of myself, who's been quiet, hugs us to her. And it gets even better after that, she says to all three of us. You wake up one day very soon and you love who you are. You wake up on your own side. She winks. I'm wondering, what does 65-year-old me know that 51-year-old me doesn't know? We sit. I feel the wisdom of that older, calmer self breathing into me as I take in each inhale, filling belly to chest, the old fear, the terrible inadequacy, exiting with each breath. For the first time, I feel something like proud, proud of everything I've survived, proud of taking this journey, Proud of coming here for three days to be a warrior on my own behalf. I will take care of you, I say, beneath my breath. That's chapter 17. That was kind of a mix of my favorite quotes. And that's why this work is important. That's why, this is what I said, this is what I mean when I say doing the work. Do you spend time with your younger self investigating what her life was like and her feelings that you've brought forward into this version of you? Do you spend time with your, a a version of your older self dreaming, envisioning the wisdom that she will have for you? I, um, it's important. It's important. The last part I want to go over today is the appendix, which is finding your own last best cure. And here's her, um, here's where she gives you more information. And again, a lot of this is stuff that we do and thrive and talk about. Um, but I'll just go over the 10 so that you have a sense. Find out if you have an ACE score, A-C-E. It's the diagnostic tool developed by the ACE study. So go look that up. She has the ACE score here. What's my A score? You can get it in the book, but if you don't, Google it. Number two, what is your daily joy and contentment quotient? We actually do this in Thrive. So if you're in Thrive, you can go look it up as a resource. It's called the Sanzone um, Joy and Contentment Quotient Inventory. She has it in the book. Number three, set a goal. Number four, find a mindfulness teacher whose style you love. And then she lists some that she loves. Number five, track your happiness. You can do trackyourhappiness.org. P.S. Everybody, go back and listen to the Positive Psychology podcast that I did with Carol Myers because tracking your happiness and the scientific research about happiness is what positive psychology is. It's the science of well-being. It's looking into how we feel good. Number six, move mindfully. Love your movement. 
Uh, she lists teachers here. I also have practices on my website. If you look at the website, littleohm.com, and look at home practice, you will find five uh, delicious, intuitive, less than 20-minute practices for your life. Number seven, do a breath exercise every day. So there's some breathing exercises in the book. You can look them up online. You can learn them at yoga. You can also just not, you can make it super simple and just move and breathe and walk up and down your street. Number eight, take note of what's really working. Here's again where positive psychology is actually noted. Um, asking yourself why and going over some some more of the um, experiments and explorations from the positive psych world. Number nine, whatever you do, do it in nature. Nature nurtures accelerating healing. Forest bathing, you guys have heard about that. Tree hugging, you've heard about that. It's actually a thing where you go in and hug trees as part of forest bathing, swim in the ocean, meditation in the woods, put your feet in the grass. Number 10 is remember the rule of three. The rule of three is the three things from your toolkit that you want to do every day, whether it's mindful breathing, walking the dogs in nature, morning meditation, going to yoga, breath of joy. There's so many things, but you can pick for yourself what your rule of three is, the three things that you want to do um, to make sure your parasympathetic nervous system and positive brain are in gear I like to do that and teach you guys that in the beginning of the day so you're setting the tone for the day, okay? And number 11, retake the joy test. So the 11th um, t tip is kind of wait six months and then go back and take it again so you can see how you're doing on the joy uh, quotient, okay? Um, I just want to say that... Um, I'm going to read a final quote and that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this little tutorial and read aloud from this very powerful book. It's my pleasure and honor to be able to share with you why this book was so powerful, how it validated so much of what my intuition was leading me to in my own healing journey and um, moving through my own childhood wounds and my own life wounds, which we all have one to three core wounds in our lifetime, and they will show up over and over. And so it's important to have ways to handle, digest, move them through, heal with them so that we can show up in our relationships as the best, fullest, most loving, compassionate versions of ourselves. So here's what I'm going to close with on page 255. I may have set out on a journey to find the last best cure, but in the end, I did not really find a cure. I found healing instead. Healing and being cured often overlap, but they're not the same thing. In order to heal, we have to first embrace the truth that there's a range of emotional components that impact us at a cellular level in ways that we don't completely understand. And if we choose, we can make the effort to shift our state of mind away from pain and fear to joy and well-being maximizing the healing responses in the brain in ways that affect our biology in lasting ways. Sometimes those efforts will result in a cure and sometimes they won't. But in all cases, we experience a sense of greater joy of healing that we can take with us throughout our lives, no matter what occurs. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. And may you live with ease.